0: Lord, haste the day when our faith will be sight. And in true, eternal shalom, we will know the peace that passes understanding. We will know the presence of one who is greater. We will be able to stand in Christ's victory alone. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you can be seated, and as you are, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I do just want to bring our attention to something that, uh, as we have continued to figure out how to best do this in our service, really we realize that giving is a continuation of worship. We talked about the act of worship last Sunday and that it is more than just singing when we're together. Ours is a sung faith and as we just experienced in, in our time of worship through song, uh, it is wonderful to be able to sing together truths like it is well with my soul. But it's also good for us to realize that giving in our generosity is a part of our worship to the Lord as well. And giving generously helps us to do something. It helps us to avoid something of this world. It helps us avoid being so attached to this world that we end up forgetting something about our true created purpose. The thing that we have been redeemed for until the Lord calls us home or until he returns. And that is this, that we are called to build the kingdom of God. And so, church, thank you for the ways that your giving allows us to do that. I do just want to draw your attention. I know that we have a, a different graphic, but I want to draw your attention. We actually have uh, some new information for texting to give, if that's something that you've participated in in the past. There were some changes with our provider, and I just want to draw your attention to that this morning. But more than that, I want to draw our attention to God's word, where in Matthew five fourteen it tells us this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so today, just as you're here potentially giving in person or thinking about what you'll give or just in an online donation, let his light shine forth in our generosity together as a church. Would you welcome with me Josh Eisenberg. He is going to be reading Romans chapter 12 verses three through eight for us this morning. Josh. For by the grace given to me, is service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help to open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and bring light to our lives, through your word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Today, we are going to see that transformed thinking is rightly thinking about ourselves, others, and the gifts of grace. Transformed thinking is rightly thinking about ourselves. Others and the gifts of grace. And that that sentence really provides a bit of what our outline is going to be today as we break down Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 together. And so I just want to realize that transformed thinking is rightly thinking. It's rightly thinking about a few different things. And so last Sunday, if you were with us, thank you for being with us. We primarily focused on how the mercies of God lay a foundation for the renewal of our heart the thing that drives or motivates or, or, or it kind of brings, brings life to our outward actions. And there was an intentional focus on the direct connection between what we believe and how it is that we live. Today, there's a component of ourselves that Paul addresses, and it's inwardly again, but it has this outward expression in the way that it brings a change about in our lives. There's this transformation that Paul is going to say is going to happen through this process of renewal. So last week it was in our hearts, and this week there is a focus on our minds. And we recognize that there's this total being transformation that God wants to bring about in the lives of his followers. Every part of us, he wants to bring under his lordship it's, this, it's all of us. It's not just our heart. We talked about that last week. That There are some that my concern would be they have laid their heart on the altar and the rest of them hasn't necessarily followed and surrendered to who God is. And today we realize that kind of the extent to which God wants to transform our lives, he's going to do so through our heart, the renewal of our heart. He's also going to do so through the transformation of our minds. And as I've been studying I thought about why the mind is so critical to some form of transformation. Even as I was preparing, I, I tried to slow down to give thoughts to the ways that my mind plays such a critical role in my understanding. See, last week we saw the importance of presenting ourselves as vessels to be filled. I need my mind to be filled with the right things to think correctly so that the outflowing cor- actions are correct. Correct. As my family's been away on vacation, I've kind of stumbled upon a podcast from the BBC called 13 Minutes to the Moon, and it's about the last 13 minutes, they've they've kind of stretched it out to 13 different episodes or something like that with music by Hans Zimmer, it's amazing. And of course, if you know me well, you know I geek out over that kind of stuff. But they're talking to the different people who were involved in the process of landing on the moon. And in so doing, they've talked to some of the computer programmers who were talking about this original kind of crude language. And they said there was simply this. There was this noun and verb component to it. Like, I need this, so do this with it. I need this, so do this with it. And it seemed like it was very crude and rudimentary at the time. And you realize, like, it's kind of an unfair comparison to say that in our phones there's more computing technology than what it was that landed men on the moon. And that's true, but our phones couldn't land men on the moon because it needed this type of very simple process for those moments as they were landing. I need to present myself in that same way, a very simple vessel to be filled where the things that are being put in start to be lived out in right actions. And I need my heart to be a part of that process. I need my mind to be a part of that process. Why? Well, because my mind does something. It, it plays this critical role in understanding, the retention of knowledge that I have. It, it signals my, my body to even type out the notes that I, I work from up here in the pulpit. My mind is very much active in the midst of all of that. And so renewed thinking is rightly thinking about something. Having our minds transformed is critical to the process. In, Paul, in Acts, Paul is, quotes, a poet of the time, but he's using it to illustrate our life in Christ when he says this in Acts 17, 28, for in him, that is, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Our minds are absolutely part of being transformed for the glory of God. In Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, where he's exhorting them to proclaim the radical news of salvation in Jesus Christ, doing so with the wisdom that the Spirit provides, drawing them together in unity in the church, he reminds the church, he reminds everyone that is there at the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians two sixteen, we have the mind of Christ. In him, we live and move and have our being, and we have the mind of Christ. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the mind of Christ. In him, you live and move and have your being. I wonder if our lives reflect that properly. It's the same spirit that transforms us today as a church. We, too, are spiritual beings We too are spiritual beings and the the Spirit transforms us in the church. In Christ, we can be transformed by renewal to have the mind of Christ and, and through that live and move and have our being, our outward being and actions transformed through this inward renewal that is happening. That's amazingly good news, isn't it? We recognize the source of all of these things is Jesus and his perfect life and death and the power of his resurrection. That is how it is that we can be renewed. In speaking about this passage, John Stott says this, that a renewed mind is a humble mind like Christ's. Our renewed mind, which is capable of discerning and approving God's will, must also be active in evaluating ourselves, our identity, and our gifts. For we need to know who we are and to have an accurate, balanced, and above all, sober self-image. So, transformed thinking is renewed into rightly thinking about a few things, beginning with ourselves. We look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The The importance of faith for the Christian walk can't be overstated. And I'm not just talking about saving faith. This is a sustaining faith. This is a sustaining power, a faith that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, faith in the gifts that are given to us. See, last week we saw this foundation of the mercies of God that is our, our deserving of punishment for sin, yet receiving pardon through Christ's finished work on our behalf. But this week, Paul is going to shift his attention from the foundation of the mercies of God that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, and he's going to focus a bit more on our heart and the grace, that is, the favor, the blessing, the benefit. That's covenant, covenantal language, the blessing and the benefit that we didn't earn or garner for ourselves. The grace that is poured out on us, the blessings, the benefit. Paul actually models for us what it looks like to operate in our opening point today if we stop and think about it long enough. He is operating in one of the gifts of grace that he is going to mention later in telling us to consider how it is that we think about ourselves and others in the gifts of grace. Have you ever thought about that? Paul is modeling something for us about the Christian life and what it looks like to live that out. Because in verse 3, he begins by saying, by the grace that's given to me. And then in verse 6, he's going to kind of turn the tables and essentially say this to us. Now, by the grace given to us, do what I've shown you how to do. He bookends that. He kind of turns it on us in this very helpful way to say, look, I'm going to show you this. Now we're going to do this together. And this is what it's going to look like for the church to operate as the church As the ones who are ambassadors of reconciliation, as the ones who have been called to go and spread the word about the kingdom of God, I'm going to show you what it looks like to operate in this, and I'm going to say, now let's all do this together. And this morning, let's hear Paul's words in that way. Let's, Let's read them to see what we can learn and understand and glean from them, and then let's live that way together. That's what it looks like to be a part of a church that represents what we see in the New Testament what it looks like for us to be individual components that come together in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Now some commentators would say that uh, there's a phrase that Paul uses here, according to the measure of faith given to us. It's important for us to have clarity in our thinking about what he's saying here. So there are some commentators that would say that it's a better way to say it according to the standard of faith. So the the difference in word there is measure versus standard, according to the standard of faith. And if we were to read it according to the standard of faith that's given to us, we realize that our standard of faith is Jesus Christ himself. There's no standard in me that deserves any of this. I'm the one that deserves punishment. I'm the one in need of mercy. There's nothing that kind of created this, like, you know, I am pretty favored, right? So, like, give me some more grace. It's not like bacon at breakfast, right? It's not like, you know what, you are my favorite child, so you get the extra piece of bacon. No parent acts that way, I know that. No parent acts that way at all, right? And God doesn't act that way toward us. He's not looking at us saying, you know, you're actually special. No, we deserve punishment. We, there's nothing in us that says that we should receive this favor, and yet we do receive favor. Yet we do receive mercies. So we realize that the standard of our faith is not anything inside us. It's all found in Christ alone. It's all found in Christ alone. And in light of looking to him, Paul's first point is that we should be humbled about ourselves. We should be humbled. And in this context, it's right for us to see that Paul is noting something about the portion of our faith. And again, we are not talking here about uh, a saving faith. We all receive the gift of saving faith through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's not contradicting what he has said in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And this is where I want to be clear. And, And maybe it would help to be clear if I personalize this a bit. Maybe I can personalize it in this way. It's, it's right when those around me stir me up and stir up my faith by challenging me in certain ways. It's right and even helpful and healthy when they call me out of where it is that I might be settling for something less than what is God's best and what God has for me. I want to, and I, my prayer is that we should all want to live in the fullness of blessings, that we would want to live in the fullness of benefit, of saving faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not right when someone tries to tell me that if I had more faith that I would reach more results. Do you hear the balance in those two things? It's right to be challenged and stirred in faith. It's not right to be said, if you do this, you'll receive that. It's right for me to be challenged. It's right for me not to to come into this place of settling for less. But it's wrong when someone tries to say more faith means more results. We need, as a church, to grow in thinking rightly about the gifts. I know that we say that we're a charismatic church, but what does that mean? What does it mean for there to be more than just a charismatic expression in worship where we might hear a kind of gifts ministered through the spirit at the microphone or, or the preaching of the word or, or where it is that we just have a sense like, oh, the worship team is, is singing extemporaneously, like I don't see those words on the screen. So that must be what it means to be a charismatic church. And we realize, no, that's not true at all. That's not true about the gathered church. And more than that, that's not true for us as individuals. And Paul wants to bring clarity to what it means for us to be led by the Spirit. And he starts by saying that we should be humbled in our thinking. We want to experience the unifying benefit to and for the church, but we also want to recognize the limitations that each gift has. So more faith doesn't equal better results. And more faith certainly never means more glory for me as an individual. You know he he references something here. He says that we should be sobered in our thinking. That that we shouldn't be intoxicated by our own thoughts on something. And isn't that just an interesting way to put it? Like, have you ever been at that place where you're like, you're thinking about something for some time, and you're not really around anyone, and so maybe maybe you're just giving this some thought, and then all of a sudden you kind of interact with someone, and all of a sudden it's like, oh. I never thought about that part. Well, maybe that's an example of what it means to be intoxicated by our own thoughts. Or, or maybe there's just an aspect of your personality that's just always gotten you by. And we can kind of become intoxicated by that, can't we? We see this in leaders a lot of times where they, they stop giving attention to the right things. And they start just kind of gliding on ability. And then all of a sudden some gaps start to show up, don't they? Unfortunately, it's a story that's all too prevalent today. Maybe, maybe there's something about your perspective where you've been, you've been giving thought to something and you're really just kind of one-sided in your perspective. And then you, when you interact with somebody else, they bring a different perspective that, that actually helps to round out what it is that's going on. We see this relationally all the time, don't we? Where it's like, You have a perspective on what was going on when that person ghosted you on text or when they didn't return your phone call or or why it was that it was the next day that they got back to you. And so you have this one-sided perspective and you kind of come in like ready to go. And then you hear the other perspective and it's like, I I should probably not be ready to throw hands right now. I should probably put these away. Why? Because you became intoxicated in your own thinking. Paul does not want us to be a church filled with people intoxicated by their own thinking. Isn't that a gift that we have one another to to not become that way? That we would be sobered in our thinking, that we would have a judgment that is sobered, but we would also operate as individuals who have a measure of faith that has been assigned to us, as the end of verse 3 says. See, the moment we're equating faith and results, we're operating outside of what Paul is bringing our attention to: sober judgments, right thinking about ourselves. Now, each week, our my notes go out, and anytime that somebody is preaching here, our notes go around to our pastoral team for feedback. and And actually, this section got quite a bit of feedback this week. Uh, not in a bad way. I mean, sometimes they're bringing correction, course correction, or like, "Hey, you might want to consider this piece as well," whatever else. But This section got a lot of feedback, and it was actually in a very encouraging way, but I thought I'd offer, on their behalf, thoughts that I received from Christian and Danny on verse 3, from Christian. Christian said this, what matters is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith. That is Jesus Christ alone. What matters is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith, and Danny said this, that right thinking is something that counteracts our pride as well as comparisons. He was also noting how different this is than kind of the the be true to yourself messaging that the world tries to push today. And, And I realized, like, this is exactly what we were talking about last week when we were talking about the schemes of the age. And we realized that right thinking about ourselves, right thinking about others, growing in our ability to do that is not something that's just for those who are, like, from a personality standpoint, empathetic or that they have the gift of compassion or mercy. Those are spiritual gifts. Empathy is a gift from God, but this is actually something that's supposed to be true in every believer in the church. So I'm not here to say that those who are like a B personality versus an A personality, as if that even exists in the believers, I'm here to say this is for all of us as a church to be sobered in our thinking about ourselves, to be rightly thinking about our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, to be rightly thinking about the gifts of the Spirit, and to realize that is a gift of grace to us as individuals, those who are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. Danny goes on to say, I believe that transformed thinking is being submitted to our truly created selves. Transformed thinking is being submitted to our truly created selves. Now, Paul's going to turn his attention in these next verses to our fellow believers. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 together here. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, another fruit of Christ as the measure Whereas we just saw as Christ as the standard for our faith is rightly thinking about others. Sobered thinking about ourselves, rightly thinking about others. Now what does this illustration of the body that Paul uses mean? Well, it means appreciating the gifts that they have rather than trying to compete with them. See, see the body, note how this connects to Paul's comments about our whole being up to this point. Our hearts, our, our minds. Note how it is that he is making the connection of everything that it means to be a living sacrifice, everything that it means to be ones who are submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So gathered here today, we're not supposed to look like some kind of grotesque mannequin graveyard. You ever seen mannequins like in a storage room? It's creepy. May that never be the view that we have from the pulpit at Metro Life Church. May this church never look like a mannequin graveyard, where everybody walks in and goes, I see pieces, parts everywhere, but I don't know how this connects together. I don't know how it is that this functions together. I don't know how, this is, how it is that you can call this a church. Look, everybody's doing their own thing. And we realize we are, we are redeemed as individuals. We are gifted in different ways as individuals, but we are not called to be this grotesque mannequin graveyard static in nature, disjointed, disconnected. When Ella was younger, I think we have a picture of this for you, she had a tendency to go to mannequins in a store and hold hands with them. That girl's not right. I I blame her father. It was weird. So this week, uh, as I was asking for permission to share this, which I do, Uh, She said, well, I was just trying to find a normal family. (laughs) Uh, Now you know how to pray for us. Here's the point. I think it'd be weird for us to think that we were walking around joined together with some disconnected, disjointed, lifeless part. So where are we doing that as a church? Where is it that God wants to breathe life through his Holy Spirit into Metro Life Church? Where is it that he wants to do that in you? Where is it that he wants to stir you up again? To see beyond the personality, to see beyond the natural abilities or the talents or whatever else. Maybe even the training and the the good things that you've received. And he wants you to see where it is that you bring life to Metro Life Church. It's funny to think about a three-year-old Ella being connected to it, but it's sobering to think about a church that looks like a mannequin graveyard. And Paul wants to address that in the church universal and more specifically in Metro Life Church and even more specifically in me and in you today. Why is this important for us? See, we're, we're now being transformed in, in our thinking to realize that we are members of one another. We haven't just joined a club we are members one of another, and the gifts of the Spirit breathe life into the church, and that's what Paul wants us to see. He wants to, us to see how it is that he, the Spirit breathes life into the church. So we're gathered here today, individually redeemed pieces, each being transformed into the image of Christ by a renewed heart and mind, coming together to present what? To present a greater body. A greater body representing a greater kingdom. The bride of Christ is what we see in Scripture. Coming together to represent the bride of Christ. We need one another, church. We need one another. So transformed thinking is rightly thinking about ourselves, about others, and lastly today, about the gifts of grace. Rightly thinking about the gifts of of grace. Verses six through eight say this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Why don't we just stop there for a second? Are you using the gifts of grace that have been given to you? Do you know what the gifts of grace are that have been given to you? Have you ever slowed down enough to just think rightly about this for yourself or more than that, ask the dangerous question of somebody else, what gifts do you see operating in me? I think that would would lead to some tremendously healthy conversations for us as a church. Let's start having them. Let's learn what the gifts are just sitting around you right now. I'm tempted to just stop right now and just like ask five people around you, but we're not going to do that. My goal is never to to scare or startle us into something, but I do want to call us to something as a church. I I do want to be one who says, this is important for us. It's at the very core of who we are as a church that we would know the gifts that are operating in me, that we would know and recognize the gifts of the Spirit that are operating in one another. Can we even do this so boldly? Can we just call the gifts what they are? When we see somebody serving and they have the gift of service, can we just say, thank you for using the gift of service that God has given you? Imagine how encouraging that would be to somebody. Imagine how that would speak life to that individual. While it's still called today, we're supposed to stir one another to good love and good works. Why don't we do that with biblical language and use the gifts of the Spirit to do so? Let's call the spiritual gifts what they are. When you're in one of our grow classes or or when you're experiencing something where somebody is teaching, why don't we just say, thank you for using the gift of teaching? When somebody has a a prophetic word or somebody is using the gifts of grace, why don't we just say, thank you for using the gift of prophecy? Whether that's in this setting or across the table from one another. Let's call things what they are biblically. Why? Because that gives courage to one another. All right, steps off. Back to Scripture. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What do we learn here? Well, we learn this, that every believer has a gift. Every believer has a gift. Now, this list of seven gifts that are listed here, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other lists of spiritual gifts in scripture it's also not given in some kind of order of importance paul's kind of riffing here i kind of am jealous i wish i could riff like that paul's riffing here what 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 is all his point about how he's kind of gone off on this tangent one it's for us to see that every believer has a gift every believer has a gift and every one of those gifts is important to the health of the church Every one of those gifts is important to the, gift, to the health of the church. It's not exhaustive, but it does illustrate something about this outward focus that s- stems from our inward belief that Paul's been saying since the end of chapter 11 in Romans. This outward expression of inward change. Do you realize this too about these gifts? Not one of these gifts can be accomplished in isolation. Every one of these gifts has someone else as the object that they are directed toward. So we're not just walking around like gifted. We're walking around with gifts that are to be expressed toward others and used in service toward one another. So it might be wonderful to have the gift of prophecy, but if you're not operating in that gift, what are you doing? It might be wonderful to have the gift of of mercy, but if you're not operating in that gift cheerfully, what are you doing? It might be wonderful to have the gift of teaching, but to stand in an empty classroom, where's the fulfillment going to come from that? You realize these things cannot be accomplished in isolation. The other thing that Paul wants us to, to realize here is that the source of these gifts is God and His grace. This is a part of the blessing, this is a part of the benefit that comes to us through the grace of God, built on that foundation of mercy. Now, in Romans, we see that it is God the Father, and in some of the lists that are given throughout Scripture, we see that in Ephesians, it is God the Son, and in 1 Corinthians, it is God the Holy Spirit. And because these are gifts of grace, they do this, they represent the entirety of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they, uh, it's represented in the Trinity. So here's what we realize. Being envious of one another's gifts or boasting in a gift that we have, there, there's no place for that. There's no place for that. Why? Because this comes from the Trinity. These gifts of grace are completely sourced outside of us, and yet they're given to us according to the portion of our faith. That's why it's important for us to think rightly in a renewed way about ourselves, in a sober way about ourselves, about others, even as we seek to use the gifts for God's glory. Now, I'm, I'm concerned that at times we put part of that relational equation to the test, and it's important to me that we get that right in the church. I'm not talking about the church universal. I'm talking about Metro Life Church. It's important to me that we get this right in the church. We want a grace from others at times have you ever considered this? There there are times where we want a grace from others as it relates to the gifts that we're working to grow in or understand or or maybe even step out in faith and operate in that we don't necessarily extend to others. Perhaps you've had that relationally with a spouse or with a sibling or with a good friend where you've you've been in this place where it's like, I, I want a grace that I'm not willing to extend to you. Imagine how devastating that is in the church when that kind of relational equation is wrong as it relates to the spiritual gifts. Maybe we don't like their approach. Maybe we don't like their thoughts on the subjects, or the way that they're doing something. Maybe their tone, their perspective, their personality. It's not saying that we can't help each other grow in the ways that we use the gifts of the Spirit, but it's not our starting point. Let's begin by recognizing that each gift comes with strengths and weaknesses. We are dependent on one another. There are even limitations to some of the gifts. We are completely dependent on one another. We are completely dependent on God. Let's make sure that we have the same understanding that Paul is laying out for us here, that the the gifts are from God the Father. They are distributed by the Holy Spirit, that they serve the church that Jesus laid his life down for. And since the Trinity is involved, don't take the gifts lightly. Don't take them flippantly as it relates to the ones that you may yourself not understand or have experienced personally. The gifts are to function together to form a healthy body that brings glory to God through its diversity, not in being the same. The gifts are, directed, are directly connected to our sustaining faith. They're a reminder of both our dependence on the Holy Spirit as the source for the gifts and the ways that God has created us to be used for his kingdom in very practical ways. Isn't that good news? You have a part to play in the building of the kingdom of God everyone necessary, everyone needed, everyone given the supply of grace that they need. It's wonderful. The gifts serve a purpose in the church. They build up and they bring together. They build up and they unify is some of the language that we see in scripture. It's not bringing glory to the individuals that are operating in those gifts. It is intended to serve one another and building up And to unify. Now, I want to acknowledge something here. We we will often have ministry in some form of the gifts of the Spirit as a part of our service. You you heard and experienced some of that even this morning. And and you may wonder, like, well, what do you think about that, Chris? Well, I, I don't feel like that competes with the sermon at all. Whether that comes before the sermon or afterwards, I don't think that that competes with the sermon or the singing or the other elements in our service they should be operating together. That They should be pointing to the same source and to the same kingdom. They should be operating in that way. I'll admit I've had some questions sometimes like, you know, I work awfully hard on this sermon. And people with prophetic gifts, it seems like it's very spontaneous. I would love a spontaneous sermon. <laughs> That's probably just my laziness. Oh well. I'm concerned about the idea that the gifts of the Spirit are limited to the things that we see or experience in a corporate setting, though. Spiritual gifts should be at the very center of our interactions anytime we're gathered, whether it's with another believer or out in the world. Let me just say that again. Spiritual gifts should be at the center of our interactions anytime we're gathered with another believer or out in the world. By the way, that's setting up next Sunday. Because Paul's going to go on in the rest of Romans chapter 12, and he's going to talk about what interactions in the church and interactions out in the world look like. And can I just, let me tell you up front, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to be empowered for those interactions. I say this because we have people, I believe this, we have people in this church that operate in spiritual gifts, but they don't recognize them as such. And can I just say, may that not be the case at Metro Life Church. May we explore and discover what the spiritual gifts are that are represented here in the church because I want us to recognize the source as well as the need that we have for spiritual gifts. Maybe I can illustrate this in this way, using the gift of prophecy. I think we have people here in this church that are incredibly gifted prophetically. I've actually seen and experienced you operating in those ways in one-on-one settings, in counseling, in meals together, or community groups. But, but you may discount that gift because, quote-unquote, it doesn't happen Sunday at a microphone. It doesn't have to happen Sunday at a microphone to be a gift of the Spirit. I would actually say this. It may have a more lasting impact if it doesn't operate that way. So let's call the gifts what they are, and gifts of grace to us as a church. Let's see them stirred up beyond just this gathering on Sunday mornings. See, it it appears to me that the context of Romans is the gift of grace and the gifts of the Spirit at work in the everyday lives of the believers in the church. Certainly in 1 Corinthians, they're talking about the gathered church in, in a variety of ways. But Romans is talking about your everyday life, the mundane of Mondays. The moments on Thursdays in that meeting when everybody's eyes roll into the back of their head. You have the gifts of the Spirit that can be operating in those moments. That's a part of our witness, that's a part of our renewal and the transformation of our thinking. this week as i've been preparing i've been convicted of times that i'll say and i i mean it somewhat in jest but i don't it has not taken away the conviction i've experienced this week i've said somewhat kind of jokingly like well i'm not very prophetic see what what am i doing there i'm making a comparison to someone or something this idea or ideal that i have built up in my head i actually do have a prophetic gift it differs from others, but it's, it's a gift, and, and I've been convicted this week of downplaying that gifting to others. Well, what's happening there? Well, my, I'm being sobered in my thinking. I'm realizing I'm representing something that actually grieves the spirit that is the giver of those gifts. I'm downplaying it in a way that says, so it's okay for all of us to kind of downplay that. I need the Holy Spirit to bring that kind of conviction to my life. To help me realize where it is that he wants to to bring a transformation in my thinking. And as such, what? A transformation in the way that I speak about it. It's important for us to understand rightly today, the point isn't where you're using the spiritual gifts that qualifies them as a spiritual gifts. The point is the source of those gifts and the purpose of those gifts. So let's mature, church. Let's grow up in our thinking into a transformed mind about ourselves and others in our understanding of the gifts. Now, our pastors have developed over the years a simple introductory guide for definitions on the gifts of the Spirit. I just want to let you know, we're we're not going to delve into what each one of these seven are today, um, but I am going to include a link in that on my online notes for you. Those typically go online on Tuesdays. But if you're here today and you're not operating in a gift of the Spirit that has been identified in or revealed to you, can I challenge you to begin to do so? Is that okay to do? Can can I just challenge us today? Let's start operating in the gifts. The church, this church needs the gifts that have been given to her. This church needs the gifts that have been given to her. This is not my appeal for more volunteers or some form of bigger or better for Metro Life Church. This is my appeal for us to mature and act like the church that we see in the New Testament, the one that's been redeemed by the saving blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be those who are operating in the gifts that God has given for his glory to be built up, unified, and matured. Now, if I just use Paul's list of seven gifts from today, if you've got the gift of prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, or mercy, I don't want you doing those things for Metro Life Church. Hear this. My heart is to see you operating in those gifts to the glory of God for you. You may think, well, that seems like it goes against everything you've been saying up to this point today. No, what what is Paul's point here? This is a part of the way that our minds are renewed. The gifts of grace are a part of the transformation of our mind for our renewal, for our transformation, for benefit and blessing, for being a part and playing a part in the kingdom of God. Vessels who are filled by something outside of ourselves through the Holy Spirit. Paul makes the connection to the gifts being a part of the way that our thinking is renewed and that our lives are transformed for the glory of God. There's a part of our spiritual development of believers that comes from understanding, recognizing, receiving, using the gifts that God has given us, and I don't want to see us stunted in our growth. I want to see this bring about the healthy life of Metro Life Church are there things we'll learn about how to properly use the gifts? Yeah. Does Scripture train us in using the various gifts? Yeah. Are we going to do so perfectly? No. And I'm okay with that. Because even in the church in Corinth, if there was ever a place where Paul's going to say, shut it down! What are you doing? He does not say stop using the gifts he brings correction and he says keep going so today that's who we'll be as a church we're going to look at first and second corinthians in the beginning of the year together as a church he brings correction and says keep pursuing more than an appeal related to the gifts can i appeal that as a church we grow in rightly thinking about ourselves and other individuals Grow in having our thinking renewed about one another. It's going to have a massive impact for the kingdom of God. A diverse people who are seeking unity through the same Spirit, brought together and bought by the blood of the same Savior, looking to bring glory and honor to the same God, our Father. Imagine the testimony for the church. How is it that you might discover your spiritual gifts? I actually appreciate how Sam Storms approaches this. He says this, One of the more debilitating obstacles in the life of the local church is the fact that people are obsessed with discovering their spiritual gift and frustrated that they have not yet figured it out. So they do nothing. I want to recommend an approach for you today to overcome this. Stop gazing at your navel and step out and serve someone. Let your gift find you. Serving is a primary way to discover your spiritual gifts. As a church, we don't want one sermon, one grow class, one gathering, etc. to be thought of as the extent of our equipping in the gifts of the Spirit. But can I remind you today that transformed thinking is rightly thinking about ourselves, others, and the gifts of grace. So we're going to keep pursuing this together, church both through sermons, through grow classes, through times together in community groups, through ways to be equipped. We're going to keep pursuing these things. But can I ask you this today in closing? How are we thinking today? How are we thinking today? Are we thinking rightly about ourselves according to the standard that we have learned in knowing Jesus Christ? Or are we thinking too highly of ourselves, comparing ourselves with others so that we look good? And if we're thinking, comparing ourselves, thinking too highly of ourselves, we need to look to Christ. See, he instructed us in his time here on earth in Matthew 5, 3, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are we thinking rightly about other believers? Is the body of Christ a reality to us in our homes, in our community? Is unity reality? In the body, a part of the reality for us? Is the diversity of the body of Christ a reality for us? Is our need for others in the process of renewal and transformed thinking a reality for us? Finally, how is our thinking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are we using them? And if not, why are we not using them? Paul in Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8 as the worship team joins me now. Paul focuses on how it is that our minds should be filled for the glory of God so that we might think and thus live rightly for the one who saved us. For today, is the way that God wants to transform your thinking about yourself a renewal related to others, related to yourself, or related to the gifts? Let me say this. I'm not assuming this one sermon will bring adjustment to this. No, this is, these are things that we're called to live out in very practical ways. So to be at the center of our interactions in our homes, on our campuses, in our workplaces, they're going to have a huge effect in the church through areas of service, through community groups, through grow classes and other ministries. See, Paul is after all of us. Paul is after our whole being. So as a church, we are brought to a place of maturity. So let's give this the attention that it deserves in our own minds in our conversations with others as well. Let's look to the one who laid down his life to redeem us and provide an example for us of what it looks like to think rightly about ourselves, others, and the gifts of grace. Would you stand with me please? Father, once again, we're at this place where we recognize we need you to live for you. Paul's words here are a challenge. They're a challenge to this idea of this radical individuality that can so easily crop up in our hearts and minds. They're a challenge to the ways that we might think about others and and hold one another kind of with a stiff arm and say, you're good, but over there. And realize that we are called to be connected and joined to one another because we need one another to bring you glory. It's a challenge to the way that we think about the gifts of the Spirit. And how necessary they are, both for testimony and for sharing about your kingdom, but also for this, for our own lives being transformed for your glory. May we as a church, as individuals who have been redeemed at such a great cost through Jesus' blood, may we not settle for less than. May we pursue the fullness of all that you will provide until the day that you call us home or that you return and say you're mine. We ask this as we look to you alone as the source for our salvation and every good covenant blessing, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.